Welcome to the Reset Podcast. I'm Liz Tran, an executive coach to founders and CEOs of fast-growing tech companies. And I attribute my success to my spiritual practices, which are rooted in mindfulness and Zen Buddhism. In this podcast, I combine business advice with spiritual lessons to help you lead a courageous, authentic, and fulfilled life. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. It is Monday, September 19th, and I am feeling really, really good. I handed in my book manuscript to my editor about 10 days ago. It was such a big weight off of my back. It was a huge relief. And then an even bigger relief happened just a couple days ago. On Friday, I heard back from her. She did a cursory pass. She read the manuscript and she loved it. She thought it was thought-provoking and inspiring, and she really likes the vulnerability that I brought to the table with the book. So that was exactly what I wanted to do was to be very authentic, vulnerable, open, and to share information that would hopefully help and support and cheerlead lots of people in the world. So that's where I am. And I'm feeling really good. I've been watching lots of trash television. I've been doing a lot of yoga. I've been sleeping a ton and I have generally just been resting and unburning myself out after a couple years now of burning the candle at both ends. So I apologize for not hopping right back onto the podcast train. As soon as I handed in my manuscript, that was my intention. But I realized that in order to actually record something that might be worthwhile for you to spend your precious time listening to, I thought maybe I should start to feel more like a rested and collected person before I do that. So here I am now. Thank you guys for your patience. I've heard from a bunch of you asking questions about when the podcast would be back on. And thank you for sticking with me over the past year or so where I've been working a lot. I have a day job, Obviously, (laughs) I run my own company. I'm an executive coach. Plus, I've been writing this book and the podcast isn't something that I make money off of. It's more of a labor of love and something that I hope to offer to be of service to other people. And so unfortunately, that got the backseat a little bit. But here I'm back now, really excited to be here. And this episode actually deviates a little bit from the general themes that we talk about which are usually around personal development, career success, who you're becoming as a person. And this is a little more granular. It is about the inside workings of writing a book. The reason why I wanted to do that today is because I know there are many of you listeners out there who have thought about writing books in the past, even if it's not a right now situation might be something that you're thinking about for many years down the road. And I've had a few people ask me, you know, what is the process like to sell a book and then write a book? And so while it is all fresh in my mind, I thought I would codify my process to you for any listeners out there who don't know a single thing about the book industry, but this information might be helpful to later if you or a friend wants to explore down that path in the future. And of course, this is still the Reset Podcast, so there will inevitably be some lessons around personal development, 
woven throughout the dialogue in this podcast, but for the most part is about just giving you guys information about how to publish a book if you ever want to do that in the future. So if that is not a topic that is of interest to you, totally understand. And I will catch you next week when it will be a more reset-ish topic. Okay. So to start off, I have wanted to be a writer since I was really young. I remember thinking it would be so cool to be a writer when I was a kid. When I was in college, I thought that writers were just so glamorous and I've always been a big reader. But because of a combination of things, the way that I was raised and because of my socioeconomic limitations, I never pursued the path of writing professionally because it just didn't seem practical or logical for me because I needed to do something where I could make money for myself and my family. So it's always been something that seemed like a pipe dream. And I've had a little bit of, you know, envy for people who are writers, a lot of curiosity about it. It wasn't until 2020 when COVID happened and I had to pivot my business that I suddenly had a bunch of free time. I was underworking. <laughs> so I closed the physical studio and I started learning about writing then. I got a bunch of books about writing. I started Googling about how to get a nonfiction book published. I asked my husband who's written a couple of books and I thought to myself, okay, this is May, 2020. I am going to sell this book by the end of the summer. And then I'm going to have this book come out a couple years after that. And of course, didn't happen that way. <laughs> I was not able to write a suitable book proposal in three months. I did write a book proposal, but at the end of those three months, I realized that the book proposal was horrible. It wasn't very good. I actually didn't like my writing, very repetitive. I didn't have my own personal voice. I wasn't actually really sure what I was writing. And so then I decided, okay, I'm going to take a year or so, really however long it takes to fully learn the craft of writing. So I took a couple of writing classes, continued to read writing books, and then I just wrote and wrote and wrote. I wrote so much. I wrote probably 100, 200 pages that I eventually just threw away. You know, I never used them for anything. But at the end of that year, in August 2021, I did have a book proposal that I really liked and I started sending it out to agents. So that piece of work, that book proposal is the first thing that you want to create. That is your first end goal. If you want to publish a nonfiction book and what a proposal is, it's essentially this like 50 ish page document that has some of your writing samples in it. So there are a couple of sample chapters there's the table of contents and a synopsis of what you're writing, but then it also has more business type information, like who your audience is, what your marketing plan will be, and how you will use who you are and what resources are at your disposal to get your book out in the world. So essentially your book proposal says two things. The writing sample tells your agent and prospective editors Yes, I can write. My writing is good. And then the second part says, not only is my writing great, but I also am the person to sell this book. 
I have a plan for how lots and lots of readers are going to hear about this book and be motivated enough to spend money purchasing it. And that is actually the crux of why I found the proposal to be challenging is because you're actually wearing these two different hats. The first hat is of the writer itself. You want to write what is truly you. You want to share your voice and your perspective. And then the second piece is wearing the hat of a marketer, which is strategic, intentional. It thinks about what it is that other people want to hear from you. It's essentially being a salesperson in the same document where you're also trying to capture the true authentic spirit of your writing. And this proposal is all you need to sell your book to an editor. And so just quickly to pause, this is true for nonfiction books, but it's not true for works of fiction. Generally, when you're writing fiction, you actually complete the entire manuscript before you go out and start sending it to people to see if any publisher wants to take it. But with nonfiction, you just need this proposal. And this proposal was something that I worked on for probably about six months on and off outside of work. I paid $99 or something like that to take Jen Sincero's book proposal writing class. It's all online. So there are some audio things that you listen to as well as some templates and some prompts that help get you into the mindset and also give you the format of your proposal. That was step one. And after that, when I was finished with this initial proposal, then I moved on to step two, which is finding an agent who will represent you. And this one is so, so important because this agent is the conduit to you getting your manuscript in front of editors. Plus, they also really know the market. They look at proposals all the time. They also know what it is that editors want to buy. Obviously, books need to speak to whatever is happening in our culture, what's important to us as a society, particularly for nonfiction. It's very timely in terms of what people are looking for in terms of books. And agents know this. And what I did is I used this website called Publishers Marketplace. I believe it is $25 a month to participate. And through this website, it has all these agents listed and all the deals that they've done. So a deal is when an agent sells a book to a publisher on behalf of the author. On this website as well, there's coded language that tells you how much the books were sold for. So a book advance is really anywhere from you know $5,000 up to millions of dollars. The Obamas got $20 million for their book deal. But for most people, we're talking more like in the tens of thousands, maybe as high as half a million. I have a couple of people who I know who sold their books for half a million dollars, but that is extremely, extremely rare, especially for normal people who aren't celebrities or don't have a large following. That is really kind of like the pinnacle of what you can expect to sell your book for. And so I knew that I wanted to sell my book for as much money as I could. So I was looking on this website, Publishers Marketplace, for agents who did lots of big deals. 
And also for agents who sold a lot of books like mine, because then I knew that they had contact with the editors that I wanted to get my book in front of. So I spent probably, I don't know, maybe 10, 15 hours researching on Publishers Marketplace. And I also had my assistant, someone who's working for me, do some of this research as well. So I gave her a list of a number of books that I wanted to find out who the agent was and who the publisher was. So she went through that database and started writing down those agents' names and finding similar agents. At the end of the day, I ended up with a list of about 15 agents that I wanted to email. And for the most part, agents do want to hear from you. And so they will say very clearly on their website what the process is for sending in your proposal. And that process is called a query. And so they'll say, you know, for queries, please email such and such email address and please, you know, do it in this particular format. And then for the agents who are really busy, they'll even say on their sites, I'm not accepting queries right now. And those who do want to see queries, they'll say, yes, I am accepting queries right now. And so essentially the query process is like cold emailing all these people who get thousands of submissions every year. And a lot of people say the only way to get an agent is you have to know someone, you have to get introduced. While that is certainly easier, I was introduced to two agents, both of them through my husband, um, who passed on my manuscript because they didn't really sell what it is that I was writing. You know, they weren't the right fits. So I really went in cold. I sent these emails and within a couple of weeks, I had heard back from probably about half of those agents and I was in conversation with them and some of them were asking me to make some changes to my proposal and send it back to them. I liked a couple of them. A couple of them I really didn't get a good vibe from and I was very clear about what I wanted out of an agent. And this is something I talked about in a previous podcast episode, but I wanted to be really clear to maintain my personal power because it's a really intimidating and confidence eroding process where you're making yourself vulnerable and you're saying, here, this is what I've been working on for months or even years. Is it good enough? Will you choose me? Will you deign to work with me? And I didn't want to feel that way. And so instead I became really clear about what it was that I was looking for too. So even though I hadn't had any true offers of representation yet, I started weeding people out in my mind too. And somewhere in this period, I think it was about two weeks in when I was already talking to other agents, the agent who I now work with emailed me and she said, I just read your query. I've been on vacation, but I want to talk to you right away. I think we spoke one or two days later and in that call, she offered to represent me. And I really liked how passionate she was about me. And I felt really lucky because she was someone who I really deeply respected. And she went on, you know, once we signed the agreement to really help me so much in shaping my proposal and even helping me brainstorm a new title and even a whole new theme to my book. What I had written was much more on the business side of things. And she really pushed me to write something that was more uniquely me to incorporate the spiritual practices that I am 
equally passionate about into this manuscript as well. And I know for a fact that I would definitively not be here if she were not my agent. So then we went back and forth on the proposal for about a month. She took a couple weeks to read it and give notes. And then I sent back edits based on the notes that she had handed to me. And then we were ready to go. We were ready to submit. So then she begins her process of starting to talk me up to different editors and answer questions. And then I start meeting them and then eventually gets to the point where we're ready to hold what's called an auction. And that's where everyone bids. So every editor who wants the book is going to put in a number that they hope will win the deal. And in this process too, very similarly to the process I had run with my agent, I had such a good feeling about one particular editor. I just thought that she was really smart and she had worked on books that I really respected. And then also just from like a social justice progressive perspective, I really liked her and I felt like she would be a good champion for my book in that direction as well. So then we did the auction, which was this really exciting, but also greatly anxiety inducing day. And I believe it was the next day or the day after that we were like, okay, we have a deal. And I was so excited. From there, I had essentially nine months to write the book. Authors get anywhere from nine months to a year to write their book. And I believe 80% of authors even get an additional extension because they're not going to hit their deadline. And I didn't start right away because it was, I believe, end of October, early November, so I just focused on the holiday season. Then January, I started writing. Here it is now in September when I handed in my manuscript. And so that's pretty much all there is in terms of the actual business operational logistics of how to sell a book. I will now pivot and talk about the creative process of doing it and what that eight-month period was like when I was writing and how the book actually came to pass and what my process was for creating this 50,000 word manuscript out of a proposal that had maybe two chapters in it. And just to wrap up on the business operational end, that was my particular process. It won't be the same for everyone. Mine was actually rather quick. I found my agent, I think in about two weeks We worked on the proposal together for about a month, and then I sold the book within a month from there. But I've spoken to a lot of people about this, and it doesn't always happen that quickly. And if it takes more time, it's completely normal. I know someone who worked on the proposal with her agent for six months before she sent it out to everyone. And then I also know people who it's happened really quickly for where agents have actually reached out to them individually and say, I want to represent you. Or even editors will reach out to them and say, hey, you should write a book for us. And so there are all sorts of different paths that you can take in this process um, if you want to publish the traditional route. And I actually don't know anything about self-publishing. I really wanted to do it the traditional way because I felt like it would increase my chances of making this book as good as possible because I'd have a number of people who were all incentivized to make my book really good. So my editor and my agent, you pay your agent 15% of everything you make. So they're really on your team. 
So I know that's the route for some people where they choose to do self-publishing and it's equally valid, but this was just the particular choice I made to reach the goals that I had in mind. Okay. So now onto the creative process. So the first thing I'll say is that this whole thing was new to me. This book is so important and so special for my life because it is the first truly, truly creative project that I've ever worked on. And it's the first time that my work has ever been about self-expression, where it's really just been about me articulating what it is that I believe It's never been that way before. My work has always been in service of other people. For instance, when I worked in HR and recruiting earlier in my career, it was always about knowing what the hiring manager, the team that I was hiring for, what they wanted, and then going out and trying to find that in candidates for them. Rarely was it my perspective or opinion about whom should be hired. I was just there to fulfill the marching orders of someone else, even when I was relatively senior in my role. And then when I moved into venture capital, I was really there to make sure that the founders that I worked with had their dreams come true. So my whole life revolved around servicing them. I really thought of my role as being client services because whenever a founder needed something, I would then jump and try to deliver to them, whether it was specific information, advice, recommendations. I would comb through my whole network looking for the right answers for them. And even now in my job as a coach, While I do give advice, sometimes, really, I am there to help unlock and unleash the full potential within my clients. My job is not about what I believe, how smart I am, or how creative I am. It's really about doing the most effective things to make my clients better. So it's really not about me. My job has never, ever been about me. So it was this beautiful shift that I was now in this position to make something just because it's what I wanted to make. And that was so freeing, especially growing up as a kid where I wasn't particularly known for being creative in any way. It was just so freeing to be able to fulfill this real desire of my inner child to want to be seen and heard as a unique and creative person. Anyway, this whole thing was very touching to me. And so I decided to get really disciplined about how to both work full-time and also write this book full-time. This primarily involved two really important ingredients. The first was habits, and then the second was solitude. Spent a lot of time by myself during those months when I was writing. I found that I worked best when I could just stay living in my ideas. Whenever I'd go to dinner with a friend or get into a prolonged discussion with someone about something that was really different from the book writing process, I felt like my ideas would just wither. Whereas when I was alone for many days at a time in silence and solitude, my ideas got to blossom in that stillness. Even if I couldn't find the answer or the solution to a writing problem I was wrestling with, I might go brush my teeth or take a shower or go on a solo walk and suddenly the answer would appear. So I tried to be by myself as much as possible when I was writing. In addition to that, because I was using so much of my brain power, dividing it between work and writing, 
that I became really disciplined. I would be in bed by 9.30 and I would journal and I would read, fall asleep by 10, 10.30. And then wake up in the morning, do yoga, meditation, pranayama, eat really clean, not go on social media, not go on email, except in certain predetermined bursts of time. And I really tried to prioritize the room that my brain needed to create something from scratch. I really needed all the brain power I could manage to figure out what it was that I wanted to say, and then also figure out how to say it in the most effective way possible. So during those months of writing, I was also reading a lot. I read memoirs. I continued to read writing books. I read inspirational self-help books that could help get me in the right mindset. And all this really helped, even though I was not perfect. During that months-long period when I was writing, there were actually multiple big chunks of time where I wasn't writing at all. I took about a month off from writing to do IVF. So I had my eggs retrieved and frozen, and then we put an embryo in, and then the embryo didn't take. And I was so sad about that that I couldn't write anything for two to three weeks after that. I also took a month off of writing to move into this house. (laughs) It was a big, big process. So that took me out of the game until mid-July, six weeks from when I had to hand in my manuscript. And I would describe this period from January to July when I was writing as clunky. It definitely wasn't smooth. There were some weeks that were beautiful and smooth and it felt like everything flowed But for the most part, I would describe it as trying to drive a car when the parking brake is still on. You know, my writing would come in fits and spurts and it wasn't easy. It felt like I was violently trying to tear these words from the inside of my brain, but they were very resistant. And it was around this time that I went to Joshua Tree with some friends who were all writing books too. And it was such a beautiful moment one night when... Everyone had already been in bed for a couple of hours. I woke up in the middle of the night and I just had this sudden understanding of what I needed to do. That was to change the title and change the entire theme of my book. It wasn't working. It's why the words weren't flowing. I couldn't build this house because the foundation was crooked. And so then I had to go back and throw everything out that I had written and rebuild from the beginning. And then that's what I did. So basically for the month of August, I was on this crazy tear of writing where it felt almost like I was possessed. As soon as I made that decision to change the title, it felt like I had opened the floodgates and suddenly all my creativity could finally, finally flow after several months of waiting for it, of begging it to come, of me being like, please, please book, make yourself known to me. It finally arrived And it was the most euphoric and demanding experience I have ever had. It was so much fun. It was so joyous. It was so energizing and uplifting, but it was also really hard. I feel like I was kind of in a fugue state or even in some sort of trance because I was just only thinking about my book. It's all I could do. And of course, I was still working and seeing clients at this time, but I divided up my day so that I would see my clients all in one bunch 
and then be able to context switch and move on to this book. And then once I got started, I couldn't stop. I was writing everywhere, like sitting on the floor, sitting in a tent in my backyard, sitting in public in a co-working space, sitting in a cafe. And I wrote and I wrote and I wrote. And by the end of it, I was so proud of what I'd written, but also so exhausted. It kind of felt like an exorcism. And now looking back, I realize that at age 37, this is the first time in my entire life that I was truly, truly in a flow state of creation. When I think about that, I know that it was only possible because I had developed during that month very clear boundaries about what I would let into my life and what I wouldn't. I was very careful about the people who I saw, about the television that I watched, about the books that I read. I had really strong, firm boundaries about what was coming into my mind and what was coming into my spirit. And this is ultimately what I was most proud of because as someone who likes to make the people around her happy, it wasn't easy for me to say no again and again and again to the people who I care about the most. It was really painful and really hard actually. And there were definitely times when I felt a lot of FOMO for missing out on things that I wanted to do with my loved ones. But I know that what I wrote in this book was only possible because it was in those weeks that I finally learned how to prioritize myself. Now I'll say this for anyone out there who may need to hear this, that anything that you are working on too deserves that same respect and reverence. The creative process is sacred. What you are doing is taking parts of your soul and putting it into whatever form it is that you are working with, whether it's writing or social media or ceramics, business plans, whatever it might be, whatever it is that you are dreaming up and building from scratch, you deserve to set all the boundaries that you want. You deserve to set up the ideal, ultimate situation so that your brilliance can shine through. And so that's probably the biggest message that I will leave you with here today. Your creativity and your ideas are precious and they truly deserve to be treated that way. Thank you everyone for tuning in this week. And it's Mercury retrograde still until October 3rd, I believe. There are a bunch of planets in retrograde and for the more nuanced astrologers out there, there's also a lot of Neptune and Pisces energy happening right now. So take it easy, be gentle on yourself and really nurture love and support whatever creativity and ideas you have blossoming and birthing right now. As I always say, don't forget to listen to yourself, to love yourself and to say yes to life so that life can say yes to you. I will see you all next week. 